So, Matt, what rhymes with boo and stinks? Wait. Poo? Nope. You. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. God, I walked into that. Yeah, you did. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, here we are again. So, real quick, before we get into this tonight, now Matt normally talks about this at the end of every episode, but I wanted to hit you guys up at the start of it. So, we we always say this, but this is not just us saying this for our ego purposes, but if you could, on whatever format you listen to us, give us a review. You know, go click the five-star and type a little something. It's not for our ego, I promise you. That's to help us gain in the charts there so people see us and we can get more people into the graveyard. It's just how that algorithm works. I don't know why, but help us out and do that. It, uh, it's for it's my ego. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't saying that we don't have fragile egos. <laughs> Because <laughs> it does help our ego, but that's not well, the so fragile. You know. <laughs> oh, well, says you. I'm, pr- I'm pretty tough. You know, I can take it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah. No, I'm just you- kidding. Just kidding. Be nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, be nice. Uh, if you could give us a review, that, that helps us grow in iTunes or whatever format that you listen to us. Now, we, we know that some of them don't have a space for reviews, and that's fine if they don't. Um, but if they do log in and give us a review and you don't even have to write anything long, you can just tell us about your day if you want to. That's fine. It doesn't matter. We just, uh, we could use a little boost there of reviews. Also, uh, if you aren't a patron, you might consider it because we've started adding more and different things to our Patreon episodes. We, we're doing a getting personal thing now where we kind of catch up and let you guys in on what's going on behind the scenes and everything while Matt and I kind of catch up on what's going on since we're now yeah. in two different states. Um, so you get to hear this is all the all the crap that we talk about right. before we actually start recording. Exactly. It's not the show, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's everything but the show is what we talk about. <laughs> Um, and then the episodes that we do on a topic, it's a different topic than our normal graveyard tales topics. We may hit on true crime occasionally. We'll hit on, you know, weird lists that we find on the the interwebs that we find funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, stuff yeah. like that. So if you're interested, you can go over to our website, graveyardpodcast.com. And there's a button to take you over to Patreon, and you can sign up. For as little as a dollar, you can get everything we've got there. So, Matt, let's get into it. What are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight we are going to discuss a 
fairly interesting phenomena that phenomena uh, phenomena <laughs> yeah that has uh has puzzled scientists and researchers uh for a, a really long time but mostly over about the last 60 years or so uh we're going to talk about telekinesis or or psychokinesis uh the terms are used interchangeably but it, it we're talking about the ability to move stuff with the power of your mind. And and I just moved a, a skull behind Adam and he doesn't know it yet. But I from from Tennessee to Texas, I moved it like a millimeter to the left. So when he notices it, he's he's gonna be irritated. The only way I'm gonna <laughs> notice that is because the dust that I have not cleaned up around it will be a little bit disturbed. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's how it works at my house. Right. That's how I moved this. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's clean right here. That's how I know if Michael's been fiddling around in the graveyard here is the dust is disturbed (laughs) a little bit. So, so telekinesis. So I think you say that word and and I think most people know what you mean. Um, But we're going to kind of give you a little bit of a definition uh, of what it is. So Adam, why don't, why don't you tell us what, what telekinesis is all right i was hoping i would have a joke worked up for that delivery after you said that but i've got nothing so i'm just going to be serious and we're going to talk about it (laughs) all right you you be serious all right i'm going to try to be serious this is adam being serious this is me being serious um so telekinesis and psychokinesis are defined as the ability to move or manipulate objects at a distance with only your mental powers so pretty simple. Um, it it's manipulating what's in the physical world with just the powers of your mind. Now, the word telekinesis was first used in 1890 by a Russian researcher and spiritualist Alexander Aksakov, and I think I pronounced that right, but Aksakov, A K S A K O V. Yeah, we're gonna go with it. Yeah, I like it though he attributed more to ghostly activity than psychic phenomena. Aksakov organized seances and wrote books on paranormal powers as well as conducted research with prominent mediums of the time. Well, the term psychokinesis was perpetuated by parapsychology researcher J.B. Rhine in the early 20th century, but he didn't really invent the word. You know, he just kind of used it a lot, uh, so it became in people's vernacular more. Now, Ryan wrote books on ESP and other aspects of parapsychology. He conducted experiments on psychokinesis in the 1930s, testing his subject's ability to affect the outcome of a pair of thrown dice. And you've probably seen or heard of this study that he did. Well, some of his results were mildly impressive. And the experiment as a whole at least showed statistical promise. Well, later in the 70s, German researcher Helmut Schmidt would perform similar experiments, putting psychokinesis to the test using random number generators. Schmidt, too, decided his subjects were exerting at least some effect over the outcome of the numbers, suggesting a 1% to 2% success rate beyond chance alone. So that's not much. But it's something, you know, it, it's showing that 
more one to two percent more than chance these people are affecting the outcome of the random number generator. Well, throughout the 20th century, similar tests were held, some showing, quote, impressive results, indicating that psychokinesis is a real ability possessed by at least some people. Some of the most extensive work had been done at Princeton University at the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Laboratory. That's a mouthful. I, you know, I wouldn't want to work there because I would have to say that all the time. <laughs> Places that Adam won't work because the name's too dead gum long. You know, but, <laughs> right, that's why I work at podcast now. I can say that, you know. Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, yeah, I like I like to work places that have like cool initials. Well, you know, and I, can, I was just thinking I, of that. <laughs> this one is the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Laboratory. So you could call it Peril, P-E-A-R-L, Peril. Oh, well, there you go. See, when you started with the P-E, I was really scared of where you were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Princeton Engineering Normal industry. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Imagine having that on your shirt, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Where do you work? Uh, You you don't don't ask. You put your hand over the the name tag on your shirt. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) All right. That took a turn that tickled my funny uh, bone. Uh, All uh, right. So in experiments conducted from 1979 to 2007, Princeton researchers found minute but tangible results when measuring the psychokinetic abilities of subjects. But is it possible? That's the big question that we have tonight. Is yeah. telekinesis and psychokinesis a... a thing that people can really do god i hope so uh, man i me too because <laughs> uh, i want to learn how to be able to tie my shoes without bending over I, dude there's a lot of stuff i want to <laughs> learn how to do without getting up like, if, if i can do stuff without having to get my lazy butt up off the sofa i'm good well i mean you know look i mean imagine the the person that was given the first remote control television oh dude you mean yeah. i don't have to get up and walk over there yep how awesome is this? I don't have to go click, click, I'm click, tele- click, I'm telekinetic. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm television kinetic. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's where the word comes from. The guy who, uh, the guy who invented the remote controlled TV came up with uh, that. That's right. <laughs> the first telekinetic television. Yeah. No, dude, it's not telekinetic. It's a remote. Yeah, call it telekinetic. It's fine. But what if I stick it on my head? Then yeah, I'm doing it with right? my mind. I'm, I'm punching the buttons with my nose. All right. So I found an article from Psychology Today that I wanted to read because I think it. Go with me. This will explain okay. this. It, You've got to put your thinking cap on. This is going to be a little bit headier than we normally do. Um, But I I think it's a really great study and a really great paper that was written. It says, in the unimaginably weird world of subatomic particles such as electrons, individual particles exist in many places at the same time. Now, that seems impossible, but experiment after experiment over the last 100 years 
have proven it to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. In fact, if you're listening to us on a computer or whatever, um, the computer is basically a whole bunch of electronic parts called transistors. Each and every one of those transistors would not function unless electrons existed in multiple places at once. It's a bizarre phenomenon called quantum superposition. So they ask the question, what does quantum superposition have to do with telekinesis? Well, particles like electrons don't always live in any particular place, but in a sort of schmear, a schmear, a of, schmear, a schmear. <laughs> We're, what, like Einstein bagels? Yes, like a, <laughs> you schmear it on the, the bagel. Yeah. So uh, it, it, in some sort of schmear of many places, most very close to each other, some very far away. Another way of putting it is that some tiny packets of matter are slightly everywhere, but precisely nowhere. So this means that many electrons in the room you're sitting in right now, like those in your computer, exist in the computer and inside your brain. Now, what happens inside your brain every time you think? Electric currents flow and electromagnetic fields are created that exert influence on electrons, including those that occupy spaces inside and outside of your head. Now, when you push or pull on an electron with an electric field, like an electron in static electricity accumulating on your dog's fur, that electron moves a little. When that happens to an electron that occupies many spaces at the same time, it will experience what physicists call a collapse. Well, a collapse is sort of like what happens when a shepherd gathers in his scattered sheep at the end of the day, but with one slight difference. If the different sheep in a flock were like the quantum stages of a single electron, the shepherd would have to send his sheepdog out to cons wouldn't have to send his sheepdog out to consolidate the animals. He would just tap on the nearest sheep. Then instantly, fa and faster than the speed of light, all but one of the sheep would vanish, leaving just one to be guided into the enclosure at night. So the well, wouldn't that be kind of cool, right? So the shepherd's tap is an analogy for what you do to the many states of an electron when you generate an electrical field with your thoughts. You cause multiple simultaneous incarnations of that particle to collapse into occupying one particular space. And that place can be inside your brain, somewhere in the room you're sitting in, or 14 billion light years away on the far side of the universe. And it says, you heard me right when I said that electrons started off slightly everywhere, I meant everywhere. And it says, now buckle your seatbelt because this is where things get really wild. As if that wasn't wild enough. I was going to say, now, wait. If particles are slightly everywhere and precisely nowhere, then some particles that make up you are inside of you at the same time that they exist on the opposite side of the universe. So that's a little weird. But so what? Well, a quantum tap that originates on the far side of the universe, say an exploding star, could cause a collapse inside your skull. So your thoughts move the universe outside you just a little bit, 
and the universe moves you. So do you actually feel the infinitesimal activity going on? Can one person sense a quantum change in their brain caused by a quantum change in someone else's brain? It says almost certainly not. But almost is not the same as certain, is it? So that was the end of the article. But I want to say, think of it this way. Since objects in every place at the same time, you know, there there's an object here and an object there, basically the particles of it. Why could that tap that they're talking about for the shepherd that creates the collapse not happen within your brain and cause all forms of, say, this skull in front of me to move to the left into that space that it was occupying just to the left that I couldn't see until I generated it with my brain. So you do, under under this theory that they're talking about, you do have the ability to affect things outside of your brain just by thinking about it due to the quantum superposition that they were talking about. Now, that's a little heady, but it's basically... It's science giving credence to something that we wouldn't think that they would give credence to, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think we have to be careful here because it's giving credence to the theory. It's it's not necessarily giving credence to the practice of it. Sure, and sure. And of course, we're talking about things on a subatomic scale, right? I mean, we're we're not talking about a, a macro scale here that occurs within a, a a visible range of movement. Either. Sure, yeah, because we're so, talking about one particle, not a collection of particles that make up something, right? So we're talking about one particle of billions of particles that would make up the uh, the pen that's laying on Adam's desk and and then that many particles you being able to uh to affect them with your thought and actually move them across a disc a distance that would actually be observable by the human eye right so i mean you know again you know Theoretically, you know, maybe, but I mean, again, we're talking about almost apples and oranges. This is the the size difference is so immense for for this to even be possible. But yet there is there's evidence out there that it, it, it has been done. and could be done right so and and like you said it it i wouldn't go as far as apples and oranges but i would say that what what we're discussing with the the quantum superposition is the very beginning of understanding how it could work um sure. okay yeah so i'll, I'll can i'll concede that point so we once we figure that part out, 
that we can affect one particle, then it's just... It's We're just going to mag- magnify it a lot. Right. It's many steps to the final product, but it is a step in the ladder of understanding how telekinesis and psychokinesis could be something that people could have or could learn. Um, and, and and that's the thing, too, that we that has to be studied. Is it a learned ability? Is it something you're born with? You know, how how do is it something that we all could do at one point? You know, like I've thought about some other things and you and I have talked about before the our brains used to be able to do a lot of different things that we can't now because of our evolution. We've lost some traits of the mind. And I'm trying to be a little vague because I think we're going to get into some of this in the next episode um, as well, but you know, our brains could do a lot more than we can now because we've forgotten or we've lost that ability. I'll tell you something that my brain used to be able to do very well and can no longer do, and that's remember a stinking phone number. No kidding, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I I know maybe three phone numbers, and and the other day, I I was writing my phone number down and I just automatically wrote a phone number i had like 15 years ago yeah yeah and I'm like, where, where did that come from right but that's a but, that's a but, great I mean, analogy it's a, it's, it's a funny thing but because of the over history the progression of in this case technology humans have evolved away from needing to do that exactly so exactly we we no longer do it and without, you know, it's a use it or lose it kind of right. kind of thing. And I'm, it, it, I, I mean, I, I'm, I mean it as a joke, but it's an absolute truth, you know, where, um, you know, if, if, if it's not something that you have to do, then you quit doing it and you lose the ability unless you make a conscious effort to do it. Right. And so right. this... This kind of stuff go we can we can go back to to two episodes that we discussed certain phenomena like this and, and I think of remote viewing and the out of body experience mm-hmm. where the people that are relating these stories have an have an attitude toward it that th- this is not something that I was gifted with. I'm not special because I was born with this ability to do so. I practiced it. I, I focused and I taught myself that I could do it. And you can too. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That it's, it's, it's a part of the universe that some people have tapped into. Not everybody has, has tapped into. Um, but it's it's one of those things that if if you if you're close minded to it, you'll never be able to do it. Mm-hmm. You'll never be able to experience that. You somehow have to open up your consciousness to the universe and and allow the ability to to kind of just take over. Right. And and I guess that that in a, in a nutshell, that's what Adam is saying. You know, if if we can wrap our head around the subatomic ability for this to even be possible then we're we're taking that first step towards saying 
okay, then we can magnify this. Right. If, right. if we can do it at this level, why can't we do it at a much larger scale? Yep, exactly right. And, and you know, if if you if you can get behind that idea, then maybe you're ready to tie your shoes without touching them. So Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Brush your teeth without getting out of bed. Man, that well, I don't know if I'd, I I don't know if I really want to do that. Hey. But I'd I'd love to, I'd love to be able to load the dishwasher without oh, getting over there. Yeah. No kidding, right? I, I think very I think very small mundane things that I want to be able to do with my <laughs> telekinetic ability. I'm not out there crushing cars or, you know, you know, changing the tra- trajectory of, of nuclear weapons. Nothing like that. Well, I'm, see, wouldn't that I'm be doing great? housework that I don't want to do? Right. <laughs> but wouldn't that be great for like traffic? You saying cars? If you're sitting in traffic and you could telekinetically move people out of your way and create a lane just for you to go. I would love that. Um, but again, like, like what we were saying, the use it or lose it thing with the advent of cars and airplanes and things that do your dishes like a dishwasher and all that. We, you know, lost the need to use telekinetic powers or anything like that. So we, our brain left it behind, you know, it, it's like the, one of those senses that they say we have that humans inherently have the ability to detect magnetic fields like dogs and birds and stuff. But because we don't use that anymore, that part of our brain, one of our senses is gone and only a few people in the world can detect electromagnetic fields in such a way or our hearing because we don't have to hear things in the forests and the plains to keep us safe, our hearing has degraded. So we don't hear quite like we used to again. Telekinesis could be one of those abilities. Yeah. If I don't have to worry about a lion coming into my hut, that's going to eat me. And I have to, I have to listen and be alert. Then I'm, you know, I, I can, I can, I can barely hear, you know, something, something going on across the room now. Right. You know, and I know I stopped making any age joke. <laughs> Dad gummit. <laughs> but, you, but you know, but you know, I mean, it's that that's legit. I mean, if it, much like when we're talking about um, someone who has lost one of their senses, namely, well, let's say, for example, someone who is totally blind. They have to rely on other senses. So those other senses right. become heightened because they they need them. They rely on them. And those senses aren't dulled by using, you know, a, a, you know, your sense of sight as opposed to hearing and touch and right. things like that. I mean, so so I mean, all of these all of these things we know are factual. You know, this is. We're not we're not telling you anything that's magic. I mean, the fact that, you know, someone who's blind has a better sense of of touch and smell and hearing. That's that's not new. We we know that exists. Um, and, and, and we realize that, you know, as humans, we have we have lost abilities to do certain things because we no longer have to, you know, also not a big surprise. So 
But it goes to Adam's point. What else have we lost the ability to do that we're not fully aware of? Hi, I'm Jeremy. Hi, I'm Kaylee. And I'm Jeremy. (laughs) And when we're not checking our closet for monsters, we're hosting a paranormal comedy podcast. It's called According to an Idiot. Do you want a disturbing tale? You can tell all your friends around a campfire and everyone wants to invite you to their campfires because they know you as the cool campfire tale guy. Well, guess what? We got good news for you. Each episode, we explore the unexplained. Conspiracy theories. Urban legends. Cryptids. Scary ghosts. I I mean, I'll teach you something for sure. This is useful. No, but you'll know some fun party facts. However, if you're listening to our podcast, you probably aren't invited to a lot of parties. That's very true. So if you like getting scared, put us in your ear holes and take a nosedive into the unknown. That's good. According to an idiot. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. But there are people out there that still seem to exhibit these telekinetic abilities and, you know, governments and stuff have been researching them and trying to prove it or disprove it. Right. So in the 1800s, there was this group of Chinese children who were said to have special abilities. Now, the Chinese government decided to allow outside scientists to travel to China and conduct experiments with these children. Now, during the experiments, the children supposedly were able to move small objects such as watches and horseflies and photosensitive paper. I don't know why it had to be photosensitive, but it was. Um, and, And these objects were positioned several meters away. And none of the children were allowed to touch any of the objects prior to the test. Now, the experience, experience, the experiments. I'm sure it was an experience. It was an experiment. (laughs) Man, it has been that kind of day. Um, Now, these experiments, the ones I'm talking about now, these were done under blind and double blind testing conditions. And to the scientists' surprise, the results were repeatable. So they they could get the same results each time they tested these children. So technical experts from the Department of Defense were present to ensure that there was no evidence of fraud, and scientists from all over the world witnessed the experiments. So there were multiple accounts, and the results could be presented. Now, in 1981, journalist Zoran Zassi published a paper for Natural Journal entitled Some Experiments on the Transfer of Objects Performed by Unusual Abilities of the Human Body, describing the experiments on these quote-unquote gifted children. Now, this led to a paper by Dr. Eric Davis who stated that some researchers felt that there was a need to investigate and construct a new physics, which would unify human consciousness or what he termed the physics of consciousness. So Dr. Davis is essentially saying, okay, there's, there's something to this and it, it falls outside of the realm of known physics. So, if we're seeing this and it 
and it's truly an ability that we previously have have untapped and it falls outside of what we know as the 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 properties of of modern physics then we've we've got to go and and recalculate everything right that that makes sense yeah and and researchers uh, researchers agreed now understand now davis isn't isn't necessarily saying this he's saying that but, but you know in this paper that because of what these these children in china were able to do that these scientists and researchers were coming forward saying we need to study this more because we need to make some changes to what we know as the laws of physics which would now include the human consciousness so it it just it it leads to the question of were these chinese children truly gifted or as adam and i have been talking had they simply learned to harness the power of their own consciousness you know and and it's an ability like i said like remote viewing that is considered to be simply another skill that anyone with enough training and practice could perform Mm -hmm. so but honestly you know it, it really shouldn't come as a surprise that it was chinese children that were involved in these experiments because the Chinese government had been investigating the potential of psychokinetic and telekinetic and teleportation uh, abilities since the 1940s. Wow. So, so since the forties, the Chinese government was saying, we got to look into this. You know, there's, there's, there's a possibility that there's uh, untapped resources in our own mind that we, we might could use to our benefit. Well, you know, Eastern societies actually give more credence to that than most of the Western societies like, uh, you know, scientists in the United States are like, that's a bunch of horse, you know, but uh, (laughs) a bunch of horse. I I edited myself. That was that's what you call editing on the fly, Matt. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Eastern cultures have always given more credence to that because you know, if you look at monks and everything, that's what they do. They they exactly. harness the powers of their mind. So it makes all sense in the world that the government would try to harness that for their own benefit. Yeah. And so when you look at Eastern medicine, it it's all about the energy within the human body mm-hmm. and, and balancing that energy to promote healing and well-being. Right. When you look at the principles of acupuncture, the the whole goal of acupuncture is to release the channels of energy throughout the body, right? Which promotes self healing. Mm-hmm. So if you if you have pain, if you have dysfunction, then something along the meridians that travel from your head to your feet is blocked. And energy cannot flow. And acupuncture helps release that energy. Okay. So that your body can say, ah, all right. Now I have this flow. My, my chi is, is balanced and I can heal. And right. by healing, I mean, in this case, you're, you're out of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, that, again, that's an ancient concept that is still used today with success. But again, the key here is energy. 
And that's what the the whole basis of tele, telekinesis is, is that you're using the energy from your mind focused on an object in order to be able to manipulate it, to move it, to actually project a physical force on an object using just the energy from your mind. Once you say that, then everybody's like, oh, well, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, is it? Yeah. Why? I mean, it, is it really? If, if you can, if you can look at thousands of years of evidence from Eastern medicine that this works and, and the basis of it is human energy within the body, then why does this have to be crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that that, you know, talking about acupuncture automatically makes telekinesis legit. I'm just saying you, you can't believe one thing and just be completely closed minded to the possibility of another. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it may, it may or may not work, but you know, it, it you definitely can't close it off. And it, it wasn't just the Chinese that were involved in, in researching. They, they may have been the first, um, but in the 1960s, the Russians would follow suit. And then in the seventies, the United States would get into the game with project Stargate, which, you know, Adam and I have discussed in several other episodes. So uh, going, let's go back over to China. Let's go back over to China. Cause they, they did a lot of research and a, and a lot of what they did um, was published in well-known journals. And, you know, there was documented evidence of what happened. 1987 in Beijing, China, 30 witnesses inside the Chinese Communist Party Central Committee Training Center. How about working there? Yeah, right. <laughs> Another one of those long names. Uh-huh. And I didn't even finish. It's got, there's more words to this name. I'm not going to finish it. You just tired um, out. <laughs> yeah. If, if it took three lines on the piece of paper to just say the name of the place, I'm not working out. <laughs> but they, they watched just this eye-popping exhibit by Zhang Baosheng, who was a Chinese, quote-unquote, super psychic. Now, a sealed medicine bottle was brought in and placed in front of Baosheng. He then concentrated on the bottle, and to the witness's amazement, he moved 44 pills from the bottle without ever opening it. Opening it. Okay? And then, you know, just for giggles, placed a single piece of candy inside it. I like this guy. Okay, yeah. So this is that idea of not just telekinesis, but teleportation, which is um, the ability to to move, to not only move an object, but to generally change its location, even if it has to pass through, you know, a, a solid barrier. Right. Okay. Now I know this that idea. You know, if telekinesis is hard to fathom, this that one is almost impossible. But anyway, these studies are quite real, and according to the Chinese government, they were performed under strict scrutiny in order to protect their validity. Now, this idea of being able to move an object with one's mind is one thing, but again, like I said, being able to move an object from one location through another object to the other side. Is something entirely different. The research performed in China ties the this concept of teleportation directly to telekinesis. I mean, 
you know, this is really a no brainer. If you get so good at moving stuff with your mind, it's a logical next step. You know, I'm well, I mean, I'm just, I got to move something through something else, you know, why not? You know? So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like doing a stunt, you know, (laughs) you're like, well, I didn't die. Yeah. So let's make this more challenging. Right. (laughs) You know? Oh, well, I can move this across the room. Let's try to move it through something else, you know, put something in the way. (laughs) And that's exactly what they did. You know, so they were like, well, you know, this, this guy can do that. What, what else can he do? You know, see if you can do this, you know, uh, you know, why not? You know what? You know, he'd already shown, you know, enough ability that, you know, he's, he's moving, he's moving crap around. So now, now he's able to get it in and out of things without ever opening the container. Right. And that's a good, uh, like you and I were talking, uh, before we went on air that that's a good use of possible use of harnessing the quantum superposition thing, because if you're saying, okay, how do I get it from this bottle to outside the bottle? Not you're not necessarily moving the object through the plastic or glass bottle outside of the bottle. You are just sending the the electrical energy field to the one and doing that tap so that it disappears and it congregates into one of its other positions outside of the bottle, whichever position you're able to harness. Right. And so. With the idea that everything is made up of, you know, electrons, you know, it, it's all a matter of can we can we get these electrons to combine with these electrons just enough that we can loosen them up and and push, in this case, a pill through the atoms that make up the wall of the container and move it outside of the wall of the container to where it it emerges on the other side. So in July of 1990, the Aerospace Medicine Engineering Institute in Beijing conducted even further research, publishing these results in the Chinese Journal of Somatic Science. Using high-speed video recording equipment Scientists state they were able to capture the actual movement of these objects that seem to meld through the walls of their containers. Objects such as nuts, matches, nails, pills, and even live insects were placed inside sealed envelopes, sealed glass bottles and tubes, and even inside film canisters. Now, if you're under 25, you may have no idea what a film canister is. <laughs> and if this is the case, you may enjoy my other podcast, which is called Stuff That a Not-So-Old Guy Will Say and His Children Have No Idea What He's Talking About. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> man, I had film canisters everywhere. That's, I mean, I used to keep ba- coins. I used to keep coins in them. Yeah, you me know? too. Well, that's basically <laughs> yeah, just me and yeah, Matt sitting around going, what the heck is a film canister? That's Matt. Uh, Matt and I just sitting around going film negatives, uh, VCRs, <laughs> uh, Sony Walkmans. Uh, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And we've got all the kids sitting there. It's like a kids react podcast. And they're going, what? You're old. <laughs> what is that? What is that? Why did you ever do that? Uh-huh. Isn't it yeah. much simpler? we had to. Yeah. Isn't it much simpler <laughs> just to pull up iTunes and, yeah, we didn't have that. <laughs> I hate that I have to have these conversations at 45 years old. Right. I, I just, I don't feel that old. Yeah, well. when I when I when I look back and I realize the crap that I had to do as a kid and the crap that my kids can do, mm-hmm. God Almighty! But anyway, I digress. In each case of this study, the walls of the container weren't damaged or breached in any way, and the objects remained in their original state, including the living insects. So. So, so now, now we're moving something that's alive through an inanimate object to the other side unscathed. Right. Which we, we, we've talked about, uh, science has talked about teleportation before. We haven't figured it out because you right. have to regroup all the atoms together. So uh, apparently TK power, telekinesis, uh, TK powers can do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, although the Chinese may have been the first to officially research, experiment and publish the idea of the human consciousness having an effect on a physical object, they certainly hadn't been alone. Now, Dr. Eric W. Davis, who I mentioned before, he published a research paper commissioned by the U.S. Air Force in 2004 entitled Teleportation Physics Study. Uh, you know, might as well call it what it is. Um, so in the paper, Davis describes a telekinesis experiment performed at the Pentagon. At the Pentagon. That's taking it where, seriously. That's right. Where aerospace engineer Jack Houck taught people to bend spoons and forks with their minds. You know, and this is a common thing. I, I just really want to know, what do psychics have against cutlery? I mean, what has it ever done to them? Yeah, they're just bending spoons and stuff left and right. I'm well, like, what? What's it, wrong with a spoon? You know, why you got to torture the spoon? It's not what it has done. It's what it could do. They're cutting it off before it does anything. <laughs> what's it going to do? <laughs> well, we don't know, Matt. We haven't harnessed all the powers of our minds. But so. if we bend it, you know, it's, it's rendered useless. But exactly. Yeah. But this was done in front of multiple scientific experts and high-ranking military officials. So it wasn't like, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to sit here and we're going to play a game. I'm going to teach you all how to bend spoons. No, they did this in front of an audience at the Pentagon. And this was commissioned by the United States Air Force. So somebody's taking it pretty seriously. Yeah. But uh, this is also where Davis had reported on the previously mentioned gifted Chinese children, explaining that among the multiple objects that they were able to move was a micro radio transmitter. Now, this is significant because during the teleportation of the transmitter, which was purposefully left on, its signal became very, very weak, indicating that it was in an altered state at the time. So, essentially, they they had this this small microtransmitter 
And as it moved, it obviously altered its physical state slightly enough to change what it was, what it was able to do, which was transmit that signal. Uh, I mean, if you believe it, it it makes sense that that Mm -hmm. would happen. You know, if you've got something that's, you know, in its, in its current physical state, this is what it does and it's doing it. And then something happens where it's moving. And if you, if you're using the theory that it's changing its subatomic state to go from this position to a position, maybe even a few millimeters over that it has to change state at some point during the movement. Right. And you You could consider that even slightly proof that it's working. Yeah. I mean, sure. And, and, and of course the Chinese government did, and of course, you know, this led to Davis's paper, which, you know, led to people saying, Hey, we may have to rework what we know as physics in this world. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's pretty substantial. I mean, that's these are people that are way smarter than Adam or I. Right. Saying that this is worth considering. You know, not this is a bunch of baloney. They're saying, hey, we, we, we've got to look into this because this could change the whole idea of what we know of how the universe works. Right, exactly. And it's amazing when you think of that because we're finally getting some validation of telekinesis or, you know, powers of the mind that we didn't have before. Yeah. So that's incredible to me. Yeah. So, so why would the United States Air Force even care about this? I, I guarantee you it was not to satisfy idle curiosity. But Robert, uh, Dr. Robert Jean, he's the, he was Dean Emeritus of Princeton University School of Engineering and a conductor of multiple experiments on the mind's effect on physical matter himself, was credited by Dr. Davis as stating at a 1980s meeting at the Naval Research Laboratory that foreign armies could use psychokinesis or telekinesis as a weapon. Going on to give an example of, quote, inducing U.S. fighter pilots to lose control of their aircraft and crash. So, you know, I mean, I thought that at first when I started coming up with some of these studies, I was like, you know, honestly, you know, we're not really talking about spying like we were in remote viewing. Why? Why would we care? I'll tell you why we care, because if the Russians and the Chinese are figuring something out, we better figure it out, too, because they're going to find a way to weaponize it and come after us. Yeah, I <laughs> you mean, know, but that, if, that's... If, they, if they've got an army of people that can control stuff with their mind, then they could essentially build a force field around their country. And if we ever needed to attack them, we couldn't because well, they could just go and just move our crap out of the way. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, as sad as it is to say, if you want any government anywhere to take something seriously, you've got to put it in that sense of either we could weaponize this or another country could weaponize this. And then all of a sudden, they're going to take it seriously and they're going to put stock into researching and 
validating it and seeing how they can harness it. So that that makes perfect sense that that would be the reason why they are researching it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On on this note of people being able to perform telekinetic powers, one of the most mysterious and famous people known for telekinetic abilities is a Soviet housewife named Nina Kulagina. Now, she had a number of very unusual abilities, and she was studied by more than 40 scientists for nearly 20 years. But no one managed to find a scientific explanation of the phenomenal abilities of this woman. Now, there is still evidence of these experiences, uh, experiments, though. I did it too, Matt. Um, experiences, experiments, whatever. Same thing. Now, there's still evidence of this in the form of videos and documentary films. So what was Nina Kulagina capable of? Well, she could move small objects with the power of thought, and she could change the trajectory of their movements without touching them. So she could also emit ultrasonic waves, which is documented and proven. Um, so during the Cold War, these silent black and white films showcasing Nina Kulagina's abilities were released by the Russian government. Now, as Adam said, in these films, she appeared to move objects on a table in front of her without touching them. Now, the films were reported reportedly made under controlled conditions, and this sparked pretty significant interest in researchers around the world who wanted to accept them as proof of the existence of psychic ability. Now, claims were made that Kulagina had been able to separate egg yolks from whites, which were submerged underwater without touching them. So essentially, they would crack an egg underwater release you know the yolk and the whites and without touching them at all she was able to use her mind to bring the yolk out of the whites now it was noted during this experiment that nina had exhibited an increased heart rate increased brainwave function as well as there being a notable electromagnetic field now, fearing that she may somehow be utilizing magnets to accomplish this feat, she was tested again. But this time, she was placed inside of a metal cage. Yep, this is Russia, folks. Nina was able to remove a marked matchstick from a pile of matchsticks that were covered by a glass dome. So, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean... I any of that, the egg yolk or any, a lot of people yeah. have trouble getting an egg yolk out of an egg white with their hands. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. So to do it with your brain underwater, that's incredible. I saw a neat trick where somebody uses an empty water bottle to kind of suck the yolk out of it and then put it on a, in another bowl. And I'm like, well, that's cool. I never thought of that. Yeah. That, that's she how, didn't, how she you, didn't use a bottle. <laughs> uh, that, that's how you end up with splattered egg yolk everywhere. That's all. Uh, that maybe, maybe. But Kulagina stated that she first learned of her abilities, which she believed were inherited from her mother, when objects around her would move when she became angry. So, Adam, did you ever see the movie Carrie? I did. Yeah, don't piss this woman off. No. Uh, so, one of her more famous ex uh, exhibitions came in March of 1970, 
where she was presented with a frog heart, which was suspended in a solution, which kept it beating. Now, that's that's I, I just want to see that. I'm mm-hmm. impressed with that. <laughs> You've right? got some solution that you can put a frog heart in and it will continue to beat. That's pretty cool. Yep, I, I need I, that. I just, if you show me that, I'm just going to be like, wow. Yeah, right. You know, and but they took it a step further. So while monitoring the heart, scientists reported that Nina was able to speed it up, slow it down, and then stop it all together. Okay. See, I said, don't piss this woman off. Yeah, that, you know? And that's a she, weapon right there. If she can stop a frog's heart, what else can she do? No kidding. She actually tried. Um, they actually tried to have her control the heart rate of another individual. And That's there dangerous. was evidence. There was evidence that she was successful. Um, but here's the thing. If I'm standing there and they tell me we're going to have this psychic woman try to alter your heart rate. Guess what my heart rate is going to do? Speed up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to speed up. Yeah. I guarantee it. Because I'm going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm not so sure. I want to be the guinea pig in this show. Right. I'm, you know, let, let me sit down and watch somebody else take center stage <laughs> for a minute. Um, but, but despite these somewhat amazing feats that were being captured on film, there were still a lot of people that were skeptical even her fellow Russians. Now she was accused of using everything from magnets to wires and even mirrors to create these illusions. And even the Russian newspaper Pravda called her out as a charlatan reporting that Kulagina had previously been arrested for cheating the public out of 5,000 rupees. How, what, how much is that? Was that like 17 bucks or something? I don't know. Um, <laughs> she said, uh, she did sue the newspaper for defamation and kind of won um, because they, they couldn't prove that, you know, she, she was a complete and total fraud. Um, But despite all of this, the, the psychic race continued and, and it convinced nations that even if Kulagina herself was a fraud, the Soviets were sending a message that they were actively working toward utilizing psychic abilities to further their strength as a world power. So even if other co- countries began to research this out of fear, it was enough and there was enough evidence that it it forced other countries to begin research. So which, there's 72 Indian uh, rupees per dollar. I just looked that up. No, are you kidding me? I just looked it up. <laughs> it says seventy one point <laughs> nine rupees to a US. Oh, seventy one. I thought did I guess it? I got close. I transposed the numbers. Yeah. I did not look that up. I was making a joke, so um <laughs> but you know I, I I got to thinking how many scientific discoveries have been made out of fear? Oh sure. A, a lot. A lot. I mean, you think about how many medications have been developed, how many treatments for disease have been developed out of the fear of dying. I mean, I don't want to die. I got to come up with a way to help me live longer. I mean, it's legit. So even if it was fear that Russia was becoming, 
was going to become really strong or that China was be- was going to become really strong because they now had this army of psychic soldiers. It, it pushed the research further and further along so that more intelligent people were stepping back to say, maybe this is a possibility. Right. Maybe we need to dig a little bit deeper. Maybe we need to fund some research on this, which, you know, that that's always been a problem is with anything the the research dies because the funding dies because nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But if I'm thinking this could affect my life on this planet, or this could affect the existence of our country. I'm going to look into it. You know, I, I sure. got to, I got to, number one, I have to figure out if it's real. And if it is real, I got to figure out how to do it so that I can figure out how to defend myself against it. Right. But I think all of that pushed the research so much further that they finally got to a point where they said, okay. We can't disprove it. You know, we, we can we can catch people that are faking it, but the people that we can't catch faking it, we can't disprove it scientifically. You know, right. we, we can't come up with a reason as to why, you know, this happened. You know, we can't we can't figure out why the the radio transmitter moved and that the signal weakened when it was moving. So all of that, in my opinion, is a good thing. You know, it just it, it just makes makes science, you know, look harder and deeper at things that maybe some people consider a little edgy or fringy or, um, you know, a lot of skeptics would say absolutely a bunch of, you know, malarkey. Well, and that's the you thing know. is, is here lately, most of what science has been doing as far as studying telekinesis and psychokinesis has been to try to disprove it but on that note like you said they haven't been able to yet it it performs a a valuable thing for science and for telekinesis for them to try to disprove it because that means they're putting more effort into researching it that means they're putting more time into trying to debunk it and a lot of times when you try to disprove and debunk stuff, you begin to realize that it's not disprovable. It may be true. Bingo. Sometimes the best way to prove something is try to disprove it. Exactly. You know, it's it's my philosophy on how to build stuff the, the and put stuff together. The, the best way I can learn how to put something together or make something is to tear one of them apart. Right. Right. You know. I mean, that's how I learned to work on cars is I tore it up so that I'd have to learn to put it back together. Uh, you know, if 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 science works that way, they said, well, look, we've we've got to break this down to the point that we can say this is absolutely garbage. But you get to a point where you can't do it anymore. Right. So now what have I done? Well, maybe maybe I've proven it. Yep. You've inadvertently I, proven the thing you set out to disprove. Exactly. Exactly. And and how much stuff have we talked about on this show that is exactly that? Oh, Lord, that's all we do. <laughs> that's pretty much all we do. <laughs> and again, we're not trying to convince you that telekinesis is real. We're just trying to make you think. Right. You know, 
Think about it. Is it possible? Do you believe it's possible? You right. Know, I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen it happen. You know, and 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 I've seen some pretty compelling videos of stuff. Um but I wasn't there. Right. But we cannot absolutely cannot talk about telekinesis without talking about this one individual who is probably the most well-known telekinetic psychic ever and that's Yuri Geller. Right. And like Matt said, it, it wouldn't be a show if we didn't talk about Yuri Geller and you may have no idea what telekinesis is before we got into this episode, but I guarantee you, you know the name Yuri Geller. He's been around for decades and he's been all over TV and everything. Well, who is Yuri Geller? Well, Yuri Geller was born in Israel on December 20th, 1946, and his parents were of Hungarian and Austrian descent, and he's apparently distantly related on his mother's side to Sigmund Freud. So that's some claim to fame there, I guess. Um, Now, at the age of four, he had a mysterious encounter with a sphere of light in a garden near his house. Now, a retired Israeli Air Force officer who was an eyewitness to this encounter validated the mystifying events decades later. And the, the evidence around that, the description of that event is sparse and, you know, it's not worth going into here, but he had a mysterious light encounter. Um, so that could be where he gained his abilities to do this or where he unlocked his abilities that he has kept through his entire life. Yeah. And now later, um, Yuri Geller would, uh, actually make a claim that his abilities were a gift from extraterrestrials. Right. Which maybe it was a, a light from <laughs> outer space. Uh, We'll never know. You, you never, you never know. We weren't there. I, I'm kind of like, yeah, I was, I, w- I was with you up till that point, Yuri. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> right. Like, Wait a minute, slow down. <laughs> well, if if that's the case, uh, then he first well, you know. became aware of his unusual powers when he was five years old. One day during a meal, his spoon curled up in his hand and broke. Now, although he had applied no physical pressure to it. It did it. It just curled up and snapped in his hand. Well, his parents were somewhat shocked, and Yuri did not mention this incident to anyone else at the time. They were probably mad, too. Yeah, I mean... Man, what are you doing? Breaking our spoons. Kids breaking spoons. I'd be a little it's mad. A good spoon. Right? And that's why we can't have anything nice, Yuri, is you break all of our nice silverware. Well, he developed these powers in school by demonstrating them to pupils. Now, his mother thought he inherited them from Sigmund Freud. I don't know how she came up with that because Sigmund <laughs> Freud was not known for his telekinetic powers. Yeah. Of all the things he was known for, I mean. And he was known for a lot. He was known for a lot. Maybe Bending spoons was not one of them. Yeah, maybe his mother, mother complex had something to do with spoons. I don't know. <laughs> Um, But in 1969, he began to demonstrate his powers of telepathy and psychokinesis to small audiences. And by the end of 1971, he was a household name throughout Israel, thanks to all of the stage appearances that he had. Well, he was given a huge boost by the prime minister, Golda Meir, 
when asked on a national radio program what she predicted for the future of Israel, she replied, don't ask me, ask Yuri Geller. Yeah. And on a side note, the uh, the cereal industry in Israel went completely bankrupt. I'm lost on that one. Huh? Oh, come on. <laughs> Oh, Nobody the spoon thing. No, the spoon thing. I get it. Okay. I get it now. Sorry. I, w- I was thinking about Yuri and, and the prime minister, and I'm like, what does the prime minister have to do with cereal? Man, I just thought of that. And I was like, oh, this is great. Adam, Adam stared at me with this blank stare. That, that was the look of my processing power that apparently my processor is running low tonight. Man, I laugh at your crummy jokes at the beginning of the well, show. Well, I got it eventually. <laughs> I think it's good. It just took me a minute. It's late, Matt. Jeez. <laughs> That that whole time I was thinking, what does Golda Meir have to do with cereal? (laughs) Is there a fact that I don't know? Was she like part of the cereal industry? I should I should have thought about it earlier. Was was she a Quaker? Talking about the Quaker oats. Maybe that's what what it was. Golda was a Quaker. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Matt. All right, Yuri has been studied by the world's leading scientists, including a few who worked for Albert Einstein. Now, the world's most prestigious scientific magazine, Nature, published a paper on Yuri's work at the Stanford Research Institute in USA. A unique endorsement, really, because Nature doesn't normally do that. And it was irrefutable proof that his skills are genuine, apparently. Now, his work with the FBI and CIA has ranged from using mind power to erase KGB computer files and track serial killers to attending nuclear disarmament negotiations to bombard and influence the Russian chief negotiator with positive thought waves so that the Soviet delegation would sign the Nuclear Arms Reduction Treaty. So that goes into what we were talking about before with Project Stargate. He was used in stuff like that, you know, during that time to not only do the remote viewing that he could do, but also the the uh, mind waves into Soviet delegators and all that to try to influence the outcome. Yeah. Now. When I was a kid, I can remember seeing Yuri Geller on television. Mm-hmm. He would appear on the Tonight Show and, and shows like that, and he would he would do his bending spoon thing, and he he would read minds. But you know, his claim was always that his ability were true psychic abilities, and to me, he always appeared as just some sort of magician whose you know whose tricks were really really hard to reveal, but. Skeptics, they viewed Geller's abilities as nothing more than a form of entertainment. And a lot of magicians tried to recreate his tricks and they would they would do performances redoing the things that Geller would have done in one of his performances, uh, trying to reveal him as a phony. Again, it's this whole if you know. The, the best way to prove it sometimes is to try to disprove yep, it. Yep, exactly. Um, but in his 1975 autobiography, Geller admits that his manager convinced him to add a magic trick to his show to make them last longer. Now, the trick was 
that he would guess the license plate number of an audience member. But, well, that wouldn't know. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you my license plate number right now. <laughs> yeah, no I mean, kidding. He could, he could guess it, and I'd be like, maybe you're right. I don't know. Um, but it was later discovered that the manager had provided him with the numbers ahead of time. Now, despite that, Geller continued to assist, insist that his abilities were authentic, and he had become the most famous spoon bender around. I, I can't get off the spoons. <laughs> so, uh, oddly enough, you know, he like was I said the earlier, inspiration for that song, Spoon Man. Maybe. <laughs> See, I matched your bad joke. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Mine. I thought mine was better. It was anyway. better. It was better. I'm so, sorry. But but the the question is, um, did he did he really or does he really? He's still alive. Mm-hmm. Possess these abilities. You know, he thought so. And so did the U.S. government, according to a declassified CIA document released in January of 2017. This document details a series of tests performed on Geller in 1973 over the course of eight days. Now, Geller, who was kept in a sealed room, showed that he could read minds by copying complex pictures drawn elsewhere. So in one case, hundreds of miles away, um, he had, there was someone drawing a picture and he is drawing the same picture. Now, this also occurs in remote viewing. Mm-hmm. You know, we see, we see very similar uh, activities with remote viewing. So that, that's essentially what he is doing. Um, he bent metal objects and planted thoughts in other people and claims that those who tested him witnessed poltergeist activity when items disappeared and rematerialized and they were not only left baffled, but in some cases just really frightened that, mm-hmm. you know, these things were happening and that, that there was actually a person that, that could do this. So like we said, he, he is still alive. Uh, he's 72 years old. Um, he, uh, he, he lives in uh, Tel Aviv, I believe, or just outside of Tel Aviv. Uh, he still continues to make um, make uh, future predictions. He's still uh, bending spoons for famous visitors that come and visit him. And in fact, he displays uh, these spoons on a uh, on his nineteen seventy six custom built Cadillac. It, you, you know, look. I, I tell you all the time. Go look at pictures. Go look at this car. <laughs> it is covered with spoons. I mean, it is. It's insane. <laughs> I'm I'm stuck on the spoons. I can't get away from. Them. <laughs> I just I just think it's hilarious. But anyway, um, and and he still does the mind reading stuff. Um, but you know, to this day, uh, I would say he he has got to be the the most famous psychic uh, that's that's ever been. And 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 his stuff still it holds true. I mean, you know, no one has has fully been able to disprove his abilities. I got to say, I don't, I don't know if he's legit or not. If, if he's not, he's carried this on for a really, really long time. It's one of the I mean, best ruses I've seen. If he's I not mean, legit. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking more, more than 50 years. Yep. He's been doing this stuff. And, I'm like, if look, if 
if they hadn't figured out how to debunk everything you can do in 50 years, then maybe you are the real thing. Right. No kidding. You know, so who knows? But it, it you know, it, it's it's really, really intriguing to um, to to look at look at this ability, look, not just Yuri Geller, but but a lot of the people that we've talked about tonight. Because science couldn't just debunk everything they did. There, there was always something that just went, okay, how did he do that? Right. You know, how did, how did she, how did she make that, that frog's heart beat fast, slow, and then stop? You know, how did he get those pills out of that bottle? You know, if it was an illusion, you know, it was a dadgum good illusion. Well, and under studies like that, it, they can't really do illusions if you're being studied by scientific professionals in a controlled environment where That's they right. couldn't like set up the task beforehand. You know, right. most magic is it, it's distracting someone and making them look somewhere while you do something else. And if you're in a controlled laboratory environment, you can't do that. So. To me, that lends a lot of credence to it. And until science actually debunks everything, to me, I feel like there is validity in telekinetic powers. And, you know, I, I have seen some some guys do close up magic that is amazingly impressive. And but at the end of at the end of the, the show, I know it's a trick. Right. And and I'm not being told that it's not a trick. You know, I, my my eyes and, and my brain are being fooled by sleight of hand. And I know that. So I, I'm OK with it. I, I, You know, I'm impressed and I'm entertained, but I'm not frightened of it. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine in the 60s and 70s, especially during the Cold War, People demonstrating these abilities under, quote unquote, controlled environments under, uh, you know, the commission of, of a government, especially the government of what would be considered a superpower. How frightening that must have been for the people that were in on it, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to be told this is not a trick. This is not an illusion. We're not fooling you. This is the real deal. And this is really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, governments aren't above misinformation and propaganda and, and even, you know, just a, a straight out ruse to, you know, forward their own cause. But there just seemed to be so much evidence that, you know, I, I think that at its core, there's there's more to it than what we really know, what we really fully understand. Oh, absolutely. And and, and you know, I, I think it would be a shame if you know science just had gotten to the point where they were like, eh, we're giving up on it. Um because I I do think if there's even the, the slightest chance that there is some ability that we as human beings could harness 
um, it should be it should be studied. I and, agree. You know, I I don't know that it's it's being studied legitimately now. I think there are people that are practitioners of you know psychic ability and telekinesis and whatnot, but um, I think we're really just scratching the surface talking about telekinesis and psychokinesis. Um, and, and I think in future episodes, you're, you're going to hear us talk more about some, some other things that are truly baffling, uh, you know, think things that you just, you just cannot explain. And it, it just goes to speak to the idea of may, maybe there are people that have been able to tap into this energy and, and do some things that we just, the rest of the the rest of the population just isn't ready to 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 do or even even accept just yet. Right. Which that brings us to that part the part of the show here where we ask you guys to let us know what do you think? Do you think telekinetic powers and psychokinetic powers are legit? Um, do you think these people have been fooling all of us? for decades into believing that they have some kind of power that they don't. And it is just a magic trick. Um, or do you believe like Matt and I do that there is something to this, that we just haven't fully begun to understand yet? Is it, uh, a, a, a part of physics that we haven't researched and developed yet? Is it something that is, never going to be within the realm of our understanding, let us know. Hit us up on email or in our Facebook group or something like that and let us know what you think. Yeah. And uh, be sure and go and check out uh, our Graveyard Tales website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on the website, you can find links to buy our merchandise. Uh, You can listen to the show. You can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself and you can become a patron, and we always want to thank all of the folks that have donated their hard-earned money, even if it's just a buck. All of that money goes in uh, to making the show better for you guys. Um, as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, uh, please like and review us on whatever podcatcher you use. Those reviews just bring more people into the graveyard. And they stroke Adam's ego a little bit. A little bit. Uh <laughs> Uh, but uh you know thank you everybody for listening uh thank you for all the great comments and participating in our facebook group which is absolutely fantastic we are on facebook instagram and twitter adam is the uh the main tweeter out there um but until next time we will save you a seat in the graveyard see you soon (laughs) 